Actually, I, I love to talk about that because everything that did. See, I actually have, I have a friend, and he told me this. He goes, man, the devil should have never messed with that little boy. <laughs> because everything that, all I told you about my, my family, my, my biological family, and all the hardships, it actually caused me to recognize the need and then know that I couldn't get it in any other way except that I had to bring people into my life. So it actually gave me this instinctiveness to reach out and to include and um, and uh, it was, you know, it's what the enemy meant for bad. God flipped it on its head because that's actually the story of United Pursuit. We came in, me and my wife came into United Pursuit in the very beginnings, and um, these young wild guys that have been in Africa and all these wild things, and and uh, we began to pull everyone together. And right now, I mean, that can. We started with just those like four, four of us single guys, and then me and Ivy, and then now they're out there. They've gotten married. The community is growing. Now they're having babies, and we're like in Southern California, and we go visit, and we don't want to leave because it's so, it's it's beautiful. It's like these people really know me. You know, they know they don't. You know, they really know me and Ivy, and and it, it, the, my spiritual family, those yeah, those people. Are, are everything to me. I, they know me way better than my own biological brother and sister. Yeah. They're everything. And and that's the thing that, uh, you know, the Lord put in us and we just begin to build that around us. And I love to tell this story because they're in Knoxville right now, like flourishing. Like that community there is, it's brilliant. It's beautiful. They live, they actually, there's a, a bunch of them and they go to each other's house every night for dinner. And the house they go to cooks and cleans so that everybody only has to cook and clean one day a week <laughs> and every because they're always going to each other's house Our tribe, and the majority of people that I would say are our tribe. I don't know that 
would say any of them actually live in Reddit. Like, none of the people that I would say, oh, like, these are my tribe. Like, if I could go move on to an island with all of my favorite people, none of them live in Reddit. And so, I, I just think, I think the big thing for, to answer your question, and I don't, I don't know if I'm jumping, but the big thing is, is be so strategically intentional with the Lord to say, who is it that's supposed to be in my life and who's not? And what capacity does that look like? Who do I need to set up boundaries with? Who do I need to invite into my home? Who do I need to be pouring into? And who is it that I need to allow access to pour into me? Because going out and searching for all these voices, and this is why I'm so I'm so hesitant on the whole spiritual mom and dad thing, is like that's actually can become a place where it's supposed to be a voice from the Lord in your life. And then if you need a little bit of direction or a little bit of confirmation, it's great to go to somebody like that. But what can happen is that person can actually replace the Holy Spirit yeah. in your life. And that's not what you're looking for. Like, you're looking for your, your father as the ultimate connector. And then the relationships are just kind of the icing on the cake. But don't, don't allow even your spiritual family to become the voice of the Lord in your life. Coming to you.
don't know the best way. I just have a lot of thoughts about it, and I guess kind of want to know your thoughts. Um, so a part of what I've been struggling with a lot lately is in terms of being a black woman. Um, and there are a lot of things that are happening in people racial relations in the country. And I think being a part of a multiracial church, which I love my church, I don't necessarily see that as the, the first thing that I think about when I come into the space. I think of it just like this is the place that God has led me to, specifically in this time here, here in Athens, and I truly like lean into that. Um, but I am aware that there are people that are hurting within, you know, as my peers. And so oftentimes what I see with churches that are led by white people or multiracial people that we discard people in the body of Christ that are dealing with those things and saying like, oh, well, we disregard the media or we disregard people trying to divide us and we're just a human race that it neglects the pain that black people are truly feeling um, right now. So I guess in terms of when y'all are seeing these things that are happening, particularly in the last week or so, because um, even for me, I, I wonder, like, what does black liberation look like for me, and how can I embody God's love in that in that space, and how do I share that with those who are hurting and need that space from the church? And um, so I guess your thoughts about that, and then how do you um, try to minister to those who may not see that, you know, people who are white who do not understand what's happening within the black community? And so, just your thoughts about that. I'll say how we do in our family because we have black, white, Mexican. And um, like especially in California, oh my goodness, everyone is so politically correct. It's crazy. So I'll tell you two examples from Sean because we're proud of our skin. Like we, like, I know what we yeah, our cultures, our races, everything. So we're all different, but we're all proud of our home, you know? And so, Sean, I'll tell you two examples that's just literally hilarious. He is on the playground, and um, someone called him Brown, and he starts crying. And the teacher comes up to him, and she, he goes, Sean, did someone hurt your feeling? He goes, yeah, someone called me Brown. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. And she goes, why did they hurt your feeling? He goes, because I'm black. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And then, and then another thing was, because we say black, we don't say African-American, and I don't know why, it's just what we say. And um, he came home, he goes, Mom, am I American? And I go, yeah, why? He goes, why is everybody call me an African? <laughs> I said, I don't know. You know, so like, um, for just in our household, um, we just raise them, um, and like Roddy's Mexican, and everyone in Orange County calls him Latino, and I'm like, okay, whatever, but he's still Mexican, you know, because I want them to be proud of their heritage, you know what I'm saying, and so just with us, we just celebrate it, and I say, even though the three white kids are blind, colorblind, um, literally, like, they're colorblind, but I tell them that <laughs> they really can't see colors.
happening in our nation right now. Also, because it is so deeply personal for me because my daughter looks like you. Um, so I would say the first thing is, is doing exactly what you just did and not being afraid of the conversation. Um, I was in, my husband and I, he, he's done this conference for years. I've only been with him once, but it's in North Carolina, right? And it's a conference where it's the majority of the people in the room are first generation from Nigeria and Ghana. And Bob and I are, there's like 2,000 students, and Bob and I are literally the only white people in the room. And Bob said, I'm the only white person in the room. Bob's convinced that the last layer of his skin is the wrong color. <laughs> Unless you saw him dance, and then you would know that that's actually not true. <laughs> um, She can't work. 
our nation today. And I think there's something wrong with that. But I think it begins with a conversation. And when you look at some of the greatest leaders across the black movement, whether you look at a Nelson Mandela, who by the way was an orphan, which I love that. But you look at the Nelson Mandela's, you look at the Martin Luther Kings, you look at these people, and what they did was they created a bridge and they had an ability option. They had an ability to speak to an issue at a time when nobody else could. And I believe that right now, this uprising that's taking place, the Lord actually has strategic people inside of the black community and inside of the white community, because you need both voices. They have, he has people strategically placed inside of each community to be a voice for such a time as this in our nation. I've never seen an uprising in our nation like what's taking place right now, and it grieves my heart so deeply. And if, we, if, if people would just be willing to actually learn about the black community. I mean, I did so much research on my daughter. Like, like you know those beautiful um, head wraps? I know we're going a little long, but just stick with me for a second. I love that you asked this question. You know those head wraps, like the turban head wraps that you see people wearing? So, so what's frustrating for the black community when a white person wears a head wrap is they do it without thinking. Right? There's not actually thought given to why you would put a head wrap on. But the truth is, is the head wrap was actually brought over on slave ships from Africa. And it, the slave owners thought, they just assumed that it was a way for them to mark their slaves. But what they didn't know, it was a way for the slaves to hang on to their culture. To hang on to something of truth. And then it got passed down from generation to generation. It was actually known as a helmet of courage. <laughs> It was known as a helmet of courage. And so when you see a black person today wearing a turban on their head, yes, it's because their hair gets crazy in the humidity and all of those things, and I get that. But it's actually known as a helmet of courage. There's a reason for it. There's a reason why they wear braids. And white people, it's okay for us to wear braids, but learn about why you're wearing the braids. Like, learn the history of it. Because they're Americans. It's not like we're asking people to learn the heritage of a different, like of a different nation. Like these people are Americans. We are all Americans, and so we talk so much about what our nation was founded on, and that's something to be proud of. But if if the white community is unwilling to really learn about the issues that they're facing, and as a parent who's raising a child, the fact that I'm going to teach her to do something differently than I'm going to have to teach my white children, there's something wrong with that. So, I see you. I see you. And I'm so deeply sorry. And it's not fair, and it's not okay. But I believe that God has appointed people for such a time as this. Because every time there's an uprising of chaos, God has a solution. He has a solution that is going to steamroll our nation. And baby, I'm telling you, like your willingness to take a stand and ask the question today, to bring up the issue today, made a stand and made a ripple effect in the kingdom. So I'm super proud of you. I, you know, I don't think we can talk about loving the orphan, caring for the orphan, and not actually talk about the black community. 
because there's a statistic is that I think it's like 90% of the inner cities are fatherless. Like it's like a 90%, it's like single moms raising these children. And so that's been my prayer is somehow, how do we get into this place with the message of adoption? How do we break through in, in that culture? And I know that God, just like she said, I believe that God's going to raise people up, and that's what He's doing right now. I mean, he's, he, I know, like, the chaos, like, I'm, I'm not afraid of chaos because a lot of times I start the chaos. <laughs> a lot of times I'm the instigator. And, you know, and, and, and a lot of people, are, they get frustrated. Oh, man, you didn't say that right, or that wasn't done appropriately, or I'm like, well, I don't even know the appropriate way to tell you what's going on inside of me right now. I don't even know the most appropriate way to do that. But it has to come out at some point, or else we're never going to deal with it. And so I, I, I feel like that's where we're at as a nation. And like she said, we're gonna, God's going to raise up the people. He's going to raise up fathers. Yeah. Yeah. He's raising people up right now, the fathers and mothers. And I would just say, you might have heard me say this in church, but what the devil is trying to do in the world is the opposite spirit of what God's actually doing. God's bringing unity. And it's going to, it typically is going to come to the church first before it's released in the world. And so I just believe when I see all this, it's like it's really in God's heart right now more than ever to bring his sons and daughters black and white people to understand each other more you know, than we ever have before. And um, so God's up to something good despite what we see on the news and stuff like that. So, um, I wanted to ask Bobby can really just talk a little bit about what you guys do regarding sex trafficking and helping girls in that area. I know that's like
a girl calls my daddy. And so it's it's evil in its purest form. And so what what I do is I rescue girls out of trafficking. And so I <clears throat> whether it's in Cambodia or Thailand, we I go with organizations and we mostly target underage girls, which are 17 and under, and we get them out. And so it's a pretty horrific deal because you see evil in its purest form. And um, me personally, I don't have a heart for the pimp or the john. There's grace on me to get the girls out. And there's grace on me not to kill people because I'm a daddy and I'm justice. And some Christians have a hard time with that, but that's not my thing. So if your heart is the John or the Pim, way to go. You, you come in after me and take care of them, and I won't kill them. But I'll get the kids out. So each one of us has to know how we run in our own strength. So that's my grace, that's my strength. And so we get the girls out, and, and uh, we bring them through a process of recovery, get restore, recover, and training and teaching them trades. So in, in doing things like that, what happens to my mind is it gets pretty messed up. So you have to figure out what your how you get your mind back, how you get your spirit back. So I have certain tools that God has revealed to me how to come back to reality again. And so it's not for everybody. It's what I do is hardly for anybody. Because it's just not what you want to do. And so, but if that's something you want to do, it's a process of learning and keeping your, your heart good, your mind good. And I can talk more about that if that's interest you. I will try to persuade you not to. Because it's it's not fun. So that's all I have to say. You can talk about the rest of it. Uh, so practically in the United States, uh, minors that are being trafficked are considered, it's called CSEC, which is commercially sexually exploited children. Um, so if you, I think we're all at the place where yes, trafficking is happening in the United States. I could get on my phone and I can get the addresses of multiple places where people are being sold within about 30 seconds based on two websites. One is very similar to Craigslist, only it's for, um, for women. Uh, escort services, but it's definitely not escorts. And then there's a another site that's very similar to Yelp, which is like, you know what Yelp is? It's like for food and stuff. It's very similar to Yelp, only it's for illicit massage parlors with minors and adults. So CSEC is the, is the we work with both um, adults and minors based in Shasta County. Uh, we provide advocacy support services for them. So basically anything that you can imagine that a girl coming out would need from the initial intake process to um, whether she's going through the juvenile hall program, whether she's her process, whether she's going into an actual jail facility, um, our team will meet her where she's at. Um, we get phone calls either from, uh, primarily from law enforcement is our primary first point of contact. Sometimes a domestic violence shelter will call us. Um, but I think the biggest thing that's kind of encouraging is we've been, I've been working in trafficking now for five years, um, started training people to work with uh, aftercare with survivors of human trafficking. And five years ago, we were talking about the issue, people just didn't, weren't aware that it existed, 
weren't aware that it existed locally, um, wouldn't even know what to do to see what the signs are. And now, five years later, it's very much, it's pretty common knowledge that trafficking is existing. Trafficking of minors is taking place in every city across America. Every truck stop just about across America is having trafficking. Um, and anytime you see trafficking, there's going to be trafficking of minors. It's just a fact. Um, but what's cool is, is there's all of these laws that are now coming into place for CSEC. Um, and, and now, what used to the law enforcement community would look at a girl and see a prostitute and arrest the prostitute and give the buyer a slap on the hand, that is now reversed. Or the girl is now seen as a victim and the buyer is seen as a very not good person and is taken to jail. Um, so those switches are huge, huge, huge victories um, from, at least from the standpoint of the community, like myself, that's working on the front lines of trafficking in the United States. Um, we did not set out to go after trafficking as a whole. We did not set out to provide advocacy support services for trafficking victims. Um, however, it's so rampant that it's happening all the time, and those are the, that's 80% of what we work with. Um, we're actually in process right now, our nonprofit, which is called Extreme Love, um, is in process right now of, of establishing a children's advocacy center in Shasta County, which is basically a facility that will house the district attorney's office, um, like offices from each of them, not the entire DA's office, but like a person from the DA's office, from two, three branches of law enforcement, um, so the prosecution side, the medical community, and children and family services. And so what's taking place right now in our city is an example, as if a child is either found as a CSEC victim, is sexually assaulted, or just abused, or witnesses a crime, that child is having to relive that story at least an average of seven times. It's like a law. <laughs> like, they're having to go to each of those agencies and tell their story about seven times. That child will now actually get to come into our facility, share their story one time, and on the other side of the hallway, there'll be a room with a microphone where all of these people will be able to ask questions to this child, but the child's only being interviewed one time by one person. It's very prosecution-driven, and then we get to provide the advocacy support for the child and the family. Um, so that's kind of that's the work that we're practically doing right now. Um, I would say be informed on trafficking in your community. Everyone asks me, like, how do I get involved? What do I do? Like, just be informed on what's happening in your community. Be informed on what call on what to do if you see the signs. Pretty pretty basic. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Beautiful. Actually, I have something to add to that. If, you don't, if you're unaware that this is actually going on in the city, you know, with Rodrigo, he was abused in a year and a half, and that, he was, I told you the story. Well, there's so much temptation to want to be like, I can't believe somebody would do that, and to judge, and to like, oh man. But as we started to dig deeper, we found out that Rodrigo's mother is actually trafficked. She was trafficked from Mexico. And her aunt. And how old were they? She, when she signed Rodney's right, she was 22 pregnant with her sixth child. And she had, sorry, this is a cuss word, but she had it tattooed across her body. They have the word bitch tattooed across their chest. All the women that are in this thing, but I just have to say this. This is so amazing. Okay, so, you know, it's easy to judge her, but I told her I that day, I said, I have no judgment towards you. I am um, here, and you can always have a relationship with Rodrigo as long as it's safe and appropriate. 
And then June, she just emailed me. She gave her life to the Lord. She, she um, just wrote me this letter of full repentance and um, just said, I'm so sorry. She goes, but I've given my life to the Lord and I can't thank God every single day that you have my son. So see, like my whole thing is that God redeems everything. He redeems the whole family. That's why we don't lay judgment on birth parents. You know, we don't lay judgment on anybody because God's heart is to redeem everybody and no one's too bad for God to redeem.